Welcome to the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast, encouraging and equipping Christians to grow in their walk with Christ. God called me here, and this is what we are in this place. And so obviously the Lord wants to do something. And my sole job is to walk with him in doing what he's going to do here. See, if we don't have that mindset, we'll church hop all the time. This is the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davies. We believe that it is God's intention for you to be deeply involved in the church and not just a bystander. On our last podcast, we began a conversation with Steve Price on the importance, role, and impact of the church. As you listen to this podcast, we would encourage you to consider again where God has called you and how he desires you to serve in your local church. I hope that answers the question, Ben. It's it's a great question. It does, and it brings up, I'm not going to ask you a question about this, but a side topic of, man, how important is it that we don't just fill our schedules with preachers that's not our job right the, the what you've talked about there's uh, some very intentional seeking the lord before what what was in the pulpit came out but i was thinking you know going back to that story you told of visiting that uh, person in the hospital it probably wasn't real we're very okay with not seeing people if we don't have to look them in the eye uh, that's one of the reasons why you'd wind up on the couch is because if you told your wife that face to face, yeah, it would be it would be really bad. And you look at the church, we have not yet had to look Jesus in the eye. Right. And I think perhaps that's one of the reasons why it might be easy for us to not put him in first place in the church because he's the last person we're going to see. Yeah. Uh, but the sobering thing is, is, is once we see him in the face and can see what he thinks of, of how we live and what we've done and how much mm-hmm. we loved him, it'll, it'll be too late to go back and change it. So right. trying, to, trying to live with that urgency as if uh, yeah. um, we're going to see actually, him. Yes, exactly. You're actually quoting the spirit or the thinking of, of John the Apostle when he says in First John, I think it's chapter 3, you know, and we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. Mm. You know, that's what's happening, a real sterilization of our motives and in our priorities, isn't it? Because yeah. we'll see him face to face. Excellent point. That comes right out of the Word of God. Now, I want to I dig down a tiny bit on looking back. Nehemiah has a, it's become a book that, it's one of my favorites. I, I love the part in it where, um, and it seems to be pretty pivotal for them moving forward spiritually, where they owned the sins of their father. So they, they first, they asked forgiveness for their own sin, but then it says the, it doesn't word it exactly sins, but the sins of their fathers and that, that they weren't blaming the past generation for what had been done, but it seems as if they had reached a point where they recognized that if we were to go back and had been in charge in the same period of time that our forefathers blew it, we probably would have done the same thing. Hmm. 
Sticking a bit on this looking back, because I think we spend a lot of time doing that. How do we do that in a healthy way where it's we get to that point where it's not just look what look how they messed up back then, but it's mm-hmm. man, if if we were there, that would have been us. Right. And is it important to get there? Yeah, it it is important to get there. Um you know, looking back on generations before us, uh, the the cultural um, preference today is to look back and trash somebody. You know, if I can defer blame by blaming someone else, usually who's now gone and in, in the grave, so they can't say any re- any rebuttal, then I, I actually remove myself from culpability. That's what the dangerous side of looking back can do. And it's a very it's a very sin nature thing to look back and to defer blame. It started at the fall. Um, what have you done? Well, the woman you've gave, given me. Well, like a paragraph ago, she was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Now, today, <laughs> I can't stand her, you know. And so, so I, I think the blaming aspect is part of the negative side of looking back. But you are correct. When they look back in the Bible and true brokenness was produced, they looked back with assuming responsibility for their current spiritual condition, but tracing it back to the seeds of a different generation and how it started there. They weren't blaming them. They were saying, this is what we are now. Look, we've intermarried. This is what we've done now. And if and look, it's not just us. It's, it's it's all of our history, as if to say, we are like wired this way. No wonder we're offensive to you. And so the looking back wasn't a blaming thing. It was actually extra additive support of uh, confessing my current condition. Mm. And 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 I think that's a, a healthy perspective to have. I, I say that because it's too easy. It's too fleshly to get yourself out of jail free by saying, yeah, but you know, I didn't do all this. Somebody else did this. Right. And, and, you know, I, I found that whenever I start to say that kind of thing, God says to me two things. Well, why don't you, uh, why don't you do this? Ask, why don't you, Steve, ask me, God, if you have any wicked ways, if you think you're good, if you think you're okay, if you think you're not that bad, right. Why don't you ask my opinion about it. <laughs> I'd rather not do that. You might have a few things to say, Lord. You know? Buckle up. That's right. That's right. The second thing that that we want to be careful of here is, do you remember that story in the Temple Mount with the tax collector and Pharisee? You know, it's very interesting. He told it in the context of justifying yourself, or you know, I'm not responsible for everything here. A generation before me messed up too. Okay, see that justifying yourself. And so the Pharisee, he announces all of his righteous things, which sounds similar to a prayer that sounds like, I didn't do everything here. It's, you know, other people are at fault too. It's kind of justifying yourself. But the one that was justified by God, not the one that justified themselves, but justified by God, was the man that took full responsibility of everything. Oh, God, be merciful to me. And the definite article is in the text, the sinner. Now, when you use a definite article, T-H-E in the English language, in any language, really, you're identifying the speaker as that person. You're, you're, you're identifying a name with that generic um, title, sinner. 
in the in in that parable, he's saying, "I." The tax collector's saying, "I am the sinner." You know what he's doing, right? He's saying, "I've got enough sin on this temple mount to fill it all," and that little Pharisee over there pales in comparison to me. Hmm. You see, Father, I am the sinner. I am the one that is responsible and has done these atrocious things in your heart. Whether the generation behind me or the generation in front of me, in front of me has anything different, doesn't matter. The sinner stands in front of you in this moment. You hear that? Do you hear that brokenness and personal culpability? So looking back has advantage and disadvantage. But mm-hmm. looking back, I think, is really secondary evidence to support the primary confession. Does that, does that make a, sense? That's a that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. So in in the church we are in today, I want to say this without sounding like I'm blaming others. Um, and I find myself like this as well. There's a lot of talk about what is the church giving me? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times those are the places we choose. You know, what has the most, what place has the most programs? And let's face it. Those aren't bad things. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, I hear people say, well, you know, the Lord didn't institute Sunday school or kids club. And it's like, well, yeah, but he did tell you to, you know, teach the children and preach the gospel. So that's, it's kind of invalid. Um, but how do we fight the propensity to view the church through the eyes of a consumer instead mm-hmm. of the eyes of a servant? Oh, Wow. You're sort of hitting on all my nerves today, you know, Ben, (laughs) Uh, all my uh, hot buttons. Um, Forgive me if this is inappropriate, but you're touching on a piece that was put in Cornerstone magazine titled, Why Why Do People Leave Church? And in that article, I mentioned this very thing, and and it's very passionate for me because I was witnessing people sort of looking at church as if it was a, a commodity to be consumed right. and um, and we were evaluating church based on a metric so that we could either legitimately logically say it's not worthy of my presence or it is worthy of my presence now this is a this is a very interesting phenomenon because in the business world um, I've lived in a cultural phase where they took that business model of metrics and performance and we applied it to the healthcare system. And it's interesting Mm. thing about healthcare system is that the healthcare system is made up of very, very imperfect people who feel right. So uh, I say, I need you to take your high blood pressure. Well, I don't feel like it. Right. Right. And then, so I, I report to the authorities, uh, patient a, non-compliant with medication, high blood pressure, still there. Authorities say, you're not doing your job. Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I did my job. Right. I, I informed, I encouraged, I, I convinced, but they didn't feel like it. You know, I, How am I responsible for their obedience to the direction? You know, And so what we do is we create these metrics that we then overlay on the church. And we say, now, what are the metrics here? that really make you a great church? And I would submit to those metrics. The question is wrong to begin with. And I'd submit to you, therefore, the metrics are wrong. But 
it's everything that, you know, programmish things, solid leadership. And some of those are good. I'm not saying they're bad, right. but, but they're done in a way to keep a, to generate a scorecard, uh, to generate a non, an intangible scorecard. And, Oh, if you don't make it on my scorecard, I'm not going to leave you a tip. And so I'll go eat at a different restaurant. That's right. what's happening. And I've witnessed it happening on, on, uh, on, a, on a very unusual scale. And I by no means mean to indict anyone on this. But as we have grown up in our current generation, younger generations, not, I'm just talking about, I'm not just talking about millennials. I'm just talking about younger generations. We'll say 40 and below just as, a, as an example. Younger generations have been raised in a climate where it's all about the consumer. And so we don't think it's wrong to apply such metrics to a church. But I tell you, the number one quality that God uses to gauge whether it's truly good fruit or not is whether that body abides in Christ. You see, Hmm. if you abide in me, you'll make more fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Meaning, if you got a bunch of programs and they're not born out of a living vitality with a, a source of life, then I don't care how good they look. It's counterfeit. Right. It's yeah. counterfeit. So the number one and only criteria is not what the fruit looks like. It's where, how the fruit was produced. And that is what I think we, we need to get back in the right paradigm of evaluation. That's why he says, so... If we need to have the right source of fruit, then thrust yourself in to helping the body abide in Christ and the fruit quality will take care of itself. Hmm. And that's what I think we're, we're really messing up. We're applying their cultural mindset like we do to the hospital setting or to a hotel setting. We apply that to the church setting. And I think that does great disservice to our evaluation and obedience to maybe sticking it out when we're not, when we'd rather not, you know? So I don't know. Does that, does that sort of get at what you're asking me? It does. And what would you say then if you had in your living room today, uh, let's say someone in that 40 below husband and wife, they have kids and they're saying, Steve, we're looking for a church. What should we be looking for then? If if we're not supposed to look at these metrics, or at least those metrics aren't the telltale sign, and I don't even want to make it like a Mac sounding like we're shopping around, but just church in general, what what am I looking for then? If I'm not looking at what is the kids club and do my sure. teens have a group of friends and sure. et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. So um, the basic question itself, is on this level of um, of health, right? So what do I look for in a church maybe to meet my needs or whatever? And, and sort of a question on health. But I actually think it's a question on call, a question of call. Does God Is God calling you to be in this church no matter its current spiritual condition? That's mm-hmm. what I think. It's a matter of call. You see... In that my home church, the one I've been in for 30 years, I had every reason under the sun and a hundred more to leave. But God wouldn't let me. If I left, I knew I would be sinning. 
and I couldn't, and I was more committed to be loyal to God, even though it made absolutely no sense. Every reason in the world. I had people tell me you should leave this church. But I, I said, I, I can't. I, I think God has called me here, and I need to stay. So I think the decision tree is not beginning where you've suggested. It's beginning more foundational than that. Are you calling me here, Father? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, everybody is at a different level of spiritual growth, and maybe God isn't going to call you to the worst because you know you, that might not even be uh, you might not even be able to survive that. Right. But the question is still valid: Are you calling me here? And then when you look at it that way, everything else is just extra. And so if it's unhealthy, but God's called me here, then I should work to make it healthy. And if we don't have a kids club and God's called me here, maybe you want me to organize the kids club. Maybe you want me to, to be sport of the kids club, you see. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's exactly what the, the missionary would do. When the missionary goes to nowhere land in the world, they don't say, now, do you guys have um, something for my kids here? They don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God called me here, and this is what we are in this place. And so, obviously, the Lord wants to do something. And my sole job is to walk with him in doing what he's going to do here. See, if we don't have that mindset, we'll church hop all the time. Uh, But if you go according to the call of God in your life, which means you really need to be walking with the Lord, no unconfessed sin, immersed in the word, a prayerful individual where I find a lot of the direction God gives me is through prayer. Um, I think that's the much better paradigm to use as our prism to help illuminate the direction we should go. Mm. Nice. And then lastly, um, and we may have already answered this, uh, but I'll, I'll ask it at the risk of us repeating ourselves. Um, (laughs) What impact should the church be having? Um, on both an individual, um, and maybe I'll expand this past what I what I originally asked you, um, individuals and families in the community. What are the th- what are the things that we want to be striving to mm-hmm. do as far as impact goes on the people who attend and those outside of the four sure. walls of the building? Sure. You know, um, this goes back a little bit to what I read in Ephesians earlier. Um, and there's a, a sister passage in Colossians. I'll, I'll just read the text just briefly. One twenty-eight. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Okay, so there was three every mans, right? And mm-hmm. there was three verbs. The first one was warning. All right, so what is warning? We, we, you know, the word preach is associated with warning. Traditionally, preaching would be heralding, which would be like preaching the gospel. So I think that's a reference to evangelism. We warn every man. We preach the gospel. And what do you do next? I use the word teach, didactos. We, we teach every man. We, we teach them in all the wisdom of God. So there are souls saved and souls discipled. All right, what's the intended purpose for being completed in Christ? Now, couple that with the Great Commission. So souls saved, souls discipled, so that we might send souls out, Mm. that they might see more souls saved 
and more souls discipled and more souls sent out so that more souls are saved, discipled. You know what we call that? The life cycle of Christian living. That's what that is. Hmm. Now, when I think about the church, I think that's our one of our practical areas of influence on both the individual and the family. So if you're an unsafe family, you fall in this grid. You fall into the area of soul saved. We want to see, see you saved. And hmm. if you are saved and you're an individual in the church or a family in the church, you fall into the, the tier of uh, teach all things, our souls discipled. And if you're uh, saved and in the church and God is separating you out like uh, the Spirit of God did to Paul and Barnabas, then you go out. And going out doesn't mean that you have to leave your job. It means you, you're going out intentionally where you live, eat, and breathe the soil of the earth. And so, yeah. so and, and you just see more souls saved. And you just repeat that theme uh, over and over in the individual family unit. I do that with my family. I intend all of my children to trust Christ as Savior. That is my goal. People say you're proselytizing. I said, you bet I am. And I'm doing so because I have the authority on the word of God to do so. You know, I know it's, I, that sounds sort of harsh and all, but I, I, I'm not embarrassed by that. I, I'm called to do that, you know. And, so, well, and, sometimes it feels like, well, what else would I do with my kids if I cared about them? I've got the, a, the yeah. truth sitting in front of me. I don't want to wait, like. Not going to put yeah. a Bible hanging for them to hit their head on and bump into, <laughs> on my house. That's good. So, so in a family, you do that. You do that as 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 a as a cha- church family, chapel family. That's one of the things. My all my children see the 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 chapel, the church as as their family. You know. So when you come to my house, your family, you take off your shoes and walk in the house, right? Well, it's like they're so comfortable at the chapel, they just sort of run around without their shoes on, metaphorically speaking, of course. Mm. Uh, they're that comfortable, and that's what we want. And and so anybody in the chapel family, we intend to teach you all things and you to grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that you will be a functioning member of the body. That's the other part, which I didn't mention, Ephesians 4. As each part does its share God causes a growth. It is our goal to help you be functioning within the skill set and gifting set God has given you. And quite honestly, for example, you've been, I hope that God uses your gift in greater ways than, than, than my little minuscule life could ever do. I, I want you to go greater and, and, and broader than that. And I say that to the kids in the chapel family because it brings more glory to Christ. Right. And I'm all yeah. and that's all that's what we're about. More glory to him. And so so please surpass and do greater and mightier and more than we can ask or think kind of things through the through the wisdom and uh, working of God in your soul. That's how I think we think about the church. And that affects the individuals and the family units there. And, you know, that kind of attitude starts to permeate and everybody sort of gets this idea that, hey, we're on a really important mission here. That's yeah. what I think is most effective from a, a, a biblical worldview of the church outlook. That's what I think is really helping us put the plan in front of us. I have a nephew named Owen. He is the king of distraction. He is a a master at the, you ask him a serious question and then he'll point to a squirrel and talk about that. He's very good at it. Um, I'm not equating, for those listening, me equating him with Satan, but Satan's good at that as well. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if he has hanging on a string a lot of other things, 
and I don't mean to bring this one up to be because it's such a hot topic. So I, me not mentioning it won't make it any less of a hot topic. But like music, the programs we have, we have all of this over here. Important things, things that we should be thinking through and doing meaningfully. But in a sense, it's almost like they've been hung in front of the church as, listen, if you want to be alive again, here's the areas you need to look to if you want to be a thriving mm. church. Yeah, yeah. But over here, there's God saying it, it's been it's not simple, but in the conversation we've had today, it seems to come back to do you as an individual individual love the Lord? And are you willing to love and pour your life into those who he loves as well? And I think if we did that, all of those other things, I was talking to someone uh, a week ago and he said, you know, you want your church to be in a place where uh, it's similar to what you said, Steve, where it's such a living place where people love the Lord and love each other, that all of those external things that we've made a big deal, nobody cares about as much because they're just happy to be there with those people and to serve mm. the Lord together. Yes. And mm. Oddly enough, I don't think any of the really big hot buttons in the church, not any of them, but these things that I've mentioned that are more external, they're not mentioned in any of the letters to the churches as, listen, Guys, uh, you need to fix this external thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's always a bigger thing. Yeah, but. Ben, Ben, that is a great summary statement. What you just said, um, as you were talking, it it made me think a little bit about um, one of the externals you mentioned was music, and and yet music is is mentioned in the context of the church, and and the yeah. great two books that do that is Ephesians and Colossians. But notice it is predicated on this one phrase, be filled with the Spirit, mm. singing and making melody in your heart. The singing and making melody is where we usually start the discussion. We need to sing and make melody. That's what we got to do. But the scripture starts with being controlled by the Spirit of God. The word And the sister passage in Colossians, the Word of God richly dwells in you. That has an effect on your soul. That creates a heart that gets pointed, uh, committed, loyally uh, loving the Lord Jesus, then the music comes, right? That, that's what he's saying. I just uh, wanted to add a little scripture to your comments because I think they're very, very biblical. People are looking for authenticity, I think, and um, they want something real. They want something that has life in it, and that, that life and love that we're looking for comes from the Lord. And it's, Steve, it's been... Really great to have you this morning. I keep telling people from the chapel, hey, I love doing these podcasts because I, I get to have a personal conversation with someone about some important things. This has been uh, really encouraging for me. I just want to thank you for coming on this morning. Well, thank you. It's it's real honor to me. And, and these are things that I, I'm deeply moved about. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to have to talk with you, Ben. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the TRBC Podcast. Turner Bible Chapel is located in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. You can find us online at trbc.ca. We hope that this has helped encourage and equip you in your walk with Christ.